Well, church, this is a very readable little book that just came out called The Happiest Life by a man named Hugh Hewitt, who is a syndicated columnist and has a radio show. He's an evangelical Christian. He's interviewed through the years over 10,000 people. He worked for Richard Nixon. Uh, his law partner as an early, in his early in his life was a man named John Roberts, who's now the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Um, but, but it's an interesting book. He talks about seven traits or seven gifts that we give to people, and they are encouragement, energy, enthusiasm, empathy, humor, graciousness, and gratitude. And I thought about the last two, and these the subject matter I'll be covering in the next four weeks, graciousness and gratitude. And let me just read a couple of paragraphs. In, in, his, in his chapter on graciousness, he talks about two different people, well, several people, but two are kind of polar opposites in their approach to uh, life. He says, on the last Wednesday of his presidency, George W. Bush invited me and five other radio talk show hosts back into the Oval Office, ostensibly to thank us for support during the long years of his wartime presidency. We talked about several things. The solemnity of the surroundings lightened by his self-depreciating humor until he finally told us why he had asked us back. He said to us, go easy on the next guy. It's a hard job. He'll get better at it. He'll have to. The country needs him. Surprised? I was, but shouldn't have been. It was quintessential Bush, earnest and self-denying, capable of great surprises and deep feelings that were not often glimpsed by the public. He was the soul of graciousness, as many admirers realized then and more people realize today. However, observers might assess the president's faults, a lack of graciousness is not among them. And then he mentions another guy named Christopher Hitchens. And if you've been reading, Christopher Hitchens is an outspoken militant atheist, uh, died uh, of cancer just a few months ago. But he mentions Hitchens several times in this book and his friendship with him and how he appreciated him. And he said that Hitchens spoke at a place called Biola University in Los Angeles that stands for the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. It's an evangelical school. We have a young man who grew up in this church who's teaching systematic theology there now, Rob Lister. But uh, Chris Hitchens was asked to speak there and make a presentation. And he called up Hugh Hewitt because Hugh lives in California. He says, would you mind going with me? This is something I'm not used to. And so he goes to Biola and he stands up and he says, the first thing that Christopher Hitchens said was this. He said, good evening. Um, here I am in a den of lambs. And he says, you stayed in that key of graciousness throughout the night. And people who knew him saw another side of Hitchens. He was kindly, curious, encouraging, avuncular or, or uncle-like warhorse of the public intellectuals, a man in full. So he's a gracious man. And then he talked about the gift of gratitude, and they go together, and he says this. Here's a secret. I don't know how one can endure all of the sorrows of life without repairing to gratitude. There is such inevitable grief that the practice of gratitude is all that can provide the necessary armor. And he says this, practicing gratitude or is the careful daily appreciation, both public and private, of the good th people and the good things in our lives. And I've, lived, and I've lived that out and learned that from a number of people, including my high school basketball coach. So gracious gratitude. What I'm saying is that, is that 
and then the last chapter of the book, he talks about the greatest gift, and he presents the gospel of Christ. It's a really interesting little read. Graciousness and gratitude go together. Today, I'm going to start this series of sermons called The Stewardship of Life. The stewardship of our resources, the stewardship of who we are, time, talents, and treasures. Years ago, uh, s- several leaders in our church came to me and they said, uh, you know, you, you never speak on stewardship. And, and that's wrong. And it's kind of like the old story that is told in many different settings about a monastery. And they took the vow of silence. And they said, one time a year, a monk can make a statement. That's it. So the first year, they went by the whole year, and they pointed to a, a monk and said, you can speak. And he said, the oatmeal is lumpy. <laughs> whole another year goes by. They bring in the second monk, and they point to him, and he says, the oatmeal is cold. A whole another year goes by. The third year, they point to another monk, and he says, I am sick and tired of the constant criticism that marks this place. And, and so they said, you know, you, you, they said, you talk about stewardship about as much as that. You know, he said, it really is, it's endemic. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus. And then they're right. That Jesus talked about money more than almost anything else. He talked about how money can destroy or build. Paul says very clearly, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth because wealth is so uncertain, but to put their hope in the living God who graciously gives us all things, 1 Timothy 6. So, so it's, it's just key. Stewardship, living it out. And so, so a gospel-saturated people will be full of grace and gratitude. That, that's it. Gospel-saturated people will be full of grace and gratitude. In 1 Corinthians 4, we're in 2 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking to a church that is just been divided by a party spirit. Some are saying, well, I follow Paulus. Others say, well, I follow Peter. Some are saying, I follow Paul. And Paul says, what is going on? And then he asks the question in verse 7 that just cuts to the core. He says, what have you received that you didn't get from the Lord? Come on. He says, name one thing you've received that wasn't a gift from the Lord. And so we come to this, this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, and the background is Paul has been dealing with some problem issues in Corinth regarding the minority report. We've been studying that for months, a few months ago. And, and, and so he comes to this section, which talks about a, an ongoing collection in Corinth for a suffering group of people called the Church of Jerusalem. And he says that the churches of Macedonia gave beyond their ability, the churches in Philippi, Berea, and uh, Thessalonica, they gave beyond their ability. And so he's encouraging them to be big-hearted, large givers. And he says this, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in the severe test of their affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, 
that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in your love, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also, this act of giving. And so when you, when you look at that statement in verse 7, you know, Paul is talking about um, what I call a multi-layered discipleship, a fully informed disciple of Jesus. And he talks about what, what would make up the life of a believer. He just makes a list. It's faithful living, speech, gracious speech, knowledge, grappling with and knowing the mind of God, you know, growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, Peter says, for example, uh, love, earnestness, being bold, being gracious, being consistent, and giving. See, so, so that, that's kind of a, a multi-layered approach to aspects of discipleship. And I was just thinking about how, you know, if, if you're discipling, ministering to somebody, building Christ in their life, and they came to you, and they looked at that little paradigm, that little, you know, six, six issues, they said, you know, I, I, I do okay, except speech. About once a day, I just cuss people out. I just let them have it. I just, or, or I'm a gossip, or I'm bitter in the way I talk to people, but I do pretty good knowledge. I'm reading systematic theology, and I'm, I think I'm kind of sort of loving the people. I just, my speech, you wouldn't say, well, no big deal. You say, man, bring your speech under the lordship of Christ. Or somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I do okay, but I'm just not very earnest. I'm kind of lukewarm most of the time. I'm not really, I'm just kind of, you say, man, the Bible says if you're lukewarm, Christ will spit you out. Earnestness is not plan B. It is part of the, the dynamic of what it means to follow Jesus. And so somebody comes to us and says, you know, I'm just, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a big giver. I don't give. He says, well, you need to understand that everything you have is a gift from God. And, and when, when I did say this in the last hour, but with so many young Christians, so many new believers, most people don't have a clue about this stuff. Many people don't. God wants you to be a gracious giver of your time, talents, and resources. That's part of your discipleship. It's part of it. It's, it's, it's significant. Now, I, I coached basketball two years after Citadel. And I had some good athletes in Singapore. I had this big man who, uh, he, he had good speed, he had good hand-eye coordination, he could move his feet so we could, we could play man-to-man defense. He was in good shape so he could go, it's a 32-minute game, he could go strong for at least 30 minutes, 28 minutes. Uh, but the guy could not shoot a free throw. And that is death. And, and so, I mean, when he shot a free throw, if he hit the rim, we stood and applauded. He was horrible. And so every practice, other guys are running or they're lifting weights or they're, they're doing drills, shuffle drills. Come stand right here. Put your feet here. Here's the ball. Shoot it. Here's the way you do it. Breathe deep. Count to three. Just look at the back of the rim. Follow through. Clang. Good grief. Clang. Clang. But I worked with him. See, a coach doesn't say, well, he's good at everything except shooting free throws. No, he says, you've got to be a well-rounded athlete. I look at, I look at this, this issue in 2 Corinthians 8 in the same fashion. So I'm going to bring out just four principles, and then we're going to 
application statement about this, this stewardship and giving. Number one, he says, he says the, the point, first point I would make in verse five, first of all, he says, you give yourselves to the Lord. You give yourselves to the Lord. Verse five, uh, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, to the apostolic teaching, to the ministry. But you, you first of all, give yourselves to the Lord. See, uh, Somebody who really gets the grace of the living Christ, his electing mercy, his outreach love, his never-ending embrace. People who get the gospel get it. And so we give ourselves first to the Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 6, it says, people that don't know the kingdom and the king run after things like what I eat and what I drink and what I wear or where I live or what I drive or whatever. He says, but you, you don't do that. You seek first the kingdom of God. You seek the kingdom of God first, and God will give you the, everything you need. But you, you seek the kingdom, or this as we sang in this room a while ago, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my riches gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. When you get the cross, you know it's about the living God, it's not about you. When you get the cross, you pour contempt on your pride. And so when, when it comes to, to giving, you give either grudgingly, you give dutifully or you give joyfully. Grudgingly, you say, well, I guess I got to give. You don't get it. I just I got to give. Or you give, you give dutifully. It's my duty. Duty's good. Or you give joyfully. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giver. Example, there's a wonderful day coming up. What is it? The men are thinking Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I was thinking Valentine's, okay? So let me, I, I did a little diagram to help you guys remember Valentine's, okay? <laughs> okay, that's Peyton Manning as Cupid, all right? So just Super Bowl, Wild Game Banquet, Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day is coming up. And let me, let me tell you some approach to Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. February the 14th rolls around. I'll look at it from a man's perspective. You take your wife or your girlfriend flowers, candy or whatever, and she says to you, why, 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 why are you doing this? And you say, well, uh, it's, it's Valentine's. And I've learned from past experience that if I don't do something on Valentine's, you sulk and you get mad and you pout and you make my life a living hell for two weeks. <laughs> so here, <laughs> that's not the best plan, okay? <laughs> a better plan is duty. That's begrudging. Duty. Come in, flowers. Oh, what is this? Well, sweetheart, today is uh, Valentine's Day. And it's a tradition to bring your beloved something to say that you appreciate or love them. So I, I want you to have this. Thank you. That, that's, that's okay. Joyfully. You come in, you give your wife or your girlfriend something, and they go, wow. What's this? He said, well, it's Valentine's Day. 
And I apologize that I am so slow-witted that we have to have a calendar holiday to make me tell you how much I love you. In fact, really, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Winston Churchill was asked, if you had a thousand lives, what would he like to be? He said, if I had a thousand lives, I would want to be Mrs. Churchill's husband. That's the way I feel. I could never do better than you. So please accept this. That is good. You see, that works. There's no copyright on that. You can use that if you want. If your wife isn't here today, go for that, okay? So, so it's, it's, see, you see the difference between grudging, dutiful, or joyful? And the Bible says God loves a joyful, cheerful giver. And that happens when you, first of all, give yourself to the Lord. And then secondly, is, is that we do this in response to grace. We do this in response to grace. Let me read this verse. This is, this is a wild verse that really you just, you know, you, you'd go, man, what in the world? He said, verse 3, he says, for, for they gave according to their means. No, excuse me, verse 2. For in, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. One commentator calls this the crazy quilt of gospel mercy. Here's the formula. Severe affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals an overflowing of wealth or generosity. See, what ha- how is that possible? It happens when the gospel grabs you. It grabs you when you understand that what Jesus says, as recorded in Luke or Acts chapter 20, is more blessed to give than to receive. It, it happens when you realize when you serve other people, you get the benefit. See, as part of being a pastor, I get to walk with people oftentimes through what I call dark passages, difficult times. It should be called a passage because it does not last forever. And I've seen people in dark places of grief or pain or sorrow, even in the midst of that, show incredible concern and, and, and a desire to bless other people. And I just go, how did that happen? It happens by the Holy Spirit. It, it happens when, when people, when we realize that we're living our life in response to the grace of the Lord Jesus. And it's amazing. And he says this, he says, thirdly, they, they, got, they gave of their own accord and beyond. Verse 3, for they gave according to their own means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, by their own accord. So when I read this, I go, you know, they, they gave and they gave beyond. There's a teaching, very quick, I'm going to take a a couple of issues. There's a teaching that's very popular in the church, the, the, the evangelical church called the Health and Wealth Gospel. There are people I could mention who are well-known and who, are, who, who, who lean in this way. And basically the teaching is that if you really love the Lord, uh, you'll have money and you won't get sick. Um, it, it is simplistic, it is embarrassing, and it is just totally unbiblical. And it makes me very discouraged. And so they teach that. And then Time Magazine did a cover story five years ago, six years ago, entitled, Does God Want You to Be Wealthy? 
And this health and wealth gospel is making huge inroads in poor places all over the world, which is amazing to me. But then they asked the evangelical church in America this question, I think it's here, yeah. So, so how many of you agree with this statement? If you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. The answer is no, okay? No. But 31% said yes to that, which is very discouraging to me. Now, I, I, I go over that. I go over that, and then I want to take out a little flag, and I want to wave it. And I want to say, while, while the health and wealth teaching is wrong, 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 the Bible does say with great clarity that God blesses those who honor him with their lives. That he blesses them with his presence, with his power, with a sense of his delight in their lives, with, sometimes by blessing them financially. Romans 12, 8 says that some people have the gift of giving. And if you give, give with liberality. And if that's your gift, I pray God blesses you like crazy. He says also people have the gift of leadership and exhortation, the same verse. So, so I just want to wave a flag and say, God blesses those who honor him. So it would be fully biblical. For example, once again, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you withhold things and if you don't care for people, if you don't give your life away, if you live for yourself and yourself only, that's a dead end street. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is made up as in his own heart, not reluctantly, begrudgingly, or under compulsion, dutifully. For God loves a cheerful giver and... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God blesses his people. And then the last book of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. And this is what it says. I want you to read it with me. Just think about it. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, 10%. That there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you such a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God says, if you honor me with your life and your energy and your time, I'll bless you. There's a retired army colonel that I heard him speak on this in our church one time. And he said, you know, when we give God our tithe and our offerings, uh, I've noticed through the years that things seem to last longer. We're talking about this verse. I went, wow. Our life goes back. God honors those who honor him. And then Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 38, he says, give and it shall be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. In other words, you'd go get your grain, fill the sack, and the grain's still coming out. And you'd pull up your robe and take it and tie it together, running over into your lap. Now, what does that mean? I'll give to you his power, his presence, his anointing, his blessing. So I, I don't want to ever understand withhold the fact that God blesses those who honor him. 
with his presence, with his power. You see, it's, it's a different orientation. It's a kingdom orientation. I read this the other day. I don't want to... This is a entertainer. I, I don't know much about it. I just read an interview and thought, this is interesting. She just went to, into a rehab center to help her deal with self-esteem. And she came out saying this. I'm a crusader for being yourself and loving yourself, but I found it hard to practice. Who in here is... Is it Kesha? Did I say it right? Kesha? Kesha? Okay. Not asking these guys. They don't know. Um, um, you know, I don't know much about her. I've read a little bit. I have no trouble loving myself. I was born loving myself. I was born thinking it's all about me. No, I was conceived thinking it's all about me. See? I find it very easy to practice. But Jesus calls me to something higher and nobler. It's called the kingdom. It's called giving your life away. Now let me answer, answer this question, if you're asking it. The tithe, 10%. Bring it into the body. People say, well, he doesn't say tithe in this passage. He does not. He says grace giving, I know. But I don't see the tithe overturned in the New Testament. Jesus says you tithe as you should. So you, you, you pray through it. We've got a study guide you can access from Redeemer Church in Manhattan that you just walk through for 20 days. But, but the issue is you give with grace and gratitude and you give unto the Lord. And I think 10% is a great place to be, to start and then give more. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And I, I sit down, I, I just wrote down in my journal this week, I said, what, what would happen if we as the body of Christ really got a vision of, of what God wanted to do? You know, instead of having a $500,000 goal for Lottie Moon at Christmas, we'd have a $2 million goal. Be able to build what we need to build to house and teach and equip the coming generations. We would have, play, be able to open literacy clinics and places. We'd be able to take campus outreach or medical campus outreach and plant them in other places all over the, the country where there's little witness for Christ. We, we'd be able to support more of the low country pregnancy center. We'd be able to do A, B, just go on and on and on. But that, that happens when, when grace grabs your heart. And then he says this, verse, he said, he said th th these people came together from Macedonia. They were pleading with me. They, they were pleading, Paul, please let us give. He says, they were, verse 4, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints because, because they, saw, they, they saw the absolute joy of giving. This guy named Irenaeus who died in 2002. He was a disciple of Polycarp who was a disciple of John the Apostle who wrote John in Revelation. So John Polycarp Irenaeus died in 2002. Irenaeus had a great statement. I love him for this. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive and man fully alive is one who has a vision of the glory of God. Wow. The glory of God is man fully alive. And, and, and the glory of man, the joy of man is having a vision of the wonder and the awe of God. Grace grabs your heart. So I just kind of turn these principles and I look, look, am I giving self to the Lord and then to other people? Am I living with gratitude in response to the grace of the cross every day? Am I a person of gratitude? Thank you. 
So you just say thank you to people. I mean, it, it, I got to hurry. I was, let me tell you this. Just, I just thought of this. I was out with somebody the other day at a restaurant, at Chick-fil-A. And I was leaving, and a guy came in. I go to the library a lot. And there's a lot, some really nice people libraries. This is a young guy just got there, and he's always happy. He's always smiling. He just, he's just a nice guy. And it, to me, it'd be easy not to be nice if I was a librarian dealing with cranky people who want to know where their book is or why, or why am I being charged a fee because nobody wants to read this book. And I know I kept it two years, but that's beside the point. And, you know, I, I just feel sorry for him sometimes, but he's always happy. How can I help you? And so he's standing there. And I walked up to him, excuse me. And he looks up like, who are you? And I said, I go to the library. I just want to say, you are so, always so kind and upbeat, and that makes my day. Man, he just bust into this biggest one. I said, thanks, man. Boom. Oh, that's, I need to do that every day of the week to people. Several times every day. Gratitude. Um, thirdly, are you giving with joy? Are you working to being a giver with joy? Not begrudgingly, not dutifully, but with joy. Are you serving people with joy? Fourthly, do you, do you plead with, with, with your leaders in your ministry, your elders? How can I be used of God? How can I be used? So last week was the women's retreat, and I'm so glad it went so well. And uh, I went to the ball game here at PCA, our Christian school, Palmetto Christian Academy. Just my wife was gone. I was by myself. So I went to the game. I'm sitting there enjoying the game. And these two little girls come up with a bag. Fourth grader and a first grader, sisters. And they stand in front of them and they said, fourth grader says, Pastor Brown. Said, yes. We've made some bands of the colors of NFL teams. And we want to know if you'd like to buy one. And the money we receive from this is going to help needy children in Costa Rica. I went, you got cute girls. I mean, my heart just melted when they walked up. And I said to the first grader, is this your lovely assistant, her first grade sister? She said, yes, she is. I said, now this money, I said, I knew that her dad was involved in the Republican Party. I said, are you taking that money for the Democrats in Charleston? She says, oh, no, we're Republicans. <laughs> you know? I started laughing. And I said, you know, I said, do you have the Seattle Seahawks in there? Oh, yes, sir. How much does it cost? $2. I bought it. Right here it is. <laughs> Go Seahawks. You know, I've been a Seahawks fan now for two months. I'm giving up on the Cowboys. I'm in search of a team anyway. So, so she didn't realize I'd have bought every cotton picking one of those things she'd asked me. I'd have given her 30 bucks for this. My heart was moving. I said, here's a fourth grader who realized is being taught there's something bigger about life than her. That she is to be a blessing to other people. For there are children in Costa Rica who need to hear the gospel, who need to be taken care of. And that moved me. I seriously, I thought everyone should ask me. Thanks be to God for that. See, that's, that, that's who we are. That's who we are. Let's pray. 
Lord, thanks for the, the privilege of opening the Bible. Thanks for the privilege of singing and thinking and being with your people. Thank you for uh, families who intentionally bring children in front of a group of believers and dedicate them to the Lord. Uh, thank you for generational beauty in these families that I see. Thank you. Thank you for fourth grade and first grade kids that realize there's something bigger about life than them. Uh, thank you, Lord. Let us see the glory of the gospel and live accordingly. Let us see needs and live accordingly. Let us give our lives away, Lord. And uh, we will give you the praise. Make us good stewards of the manifold grace of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.